Thank you guys for being here. We've got snapshots from the Gospel of Matthew, and that's where we'll begin today. Now, I don't know about your life. I've spent the last week in trial in Cleveland. And I want to tell you something I've learned. Some things are just odd. I, 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 I am stunned by how odd some things are. There are odd people. There are odd events. There are all sorts of oddities. I mean, I, I don't understand how it is that I can pack my clothes and go to Cleveland and unpack my clothes into a hotel room and somehow, just in that process, one of two socks disappears. I understand that washers and dryers eat socks, but this was luggage, and I don't get how they're gone. But some things are just odd. And so with that as a frame of reference, I want to tell you that there are some passages that I came across in Matthew that also struck me as odd. And some of them reading them in English, some of them reading it in Greek. But either way, these are passages that just struck me as odd. And I thought before we left Matthew that we would look at some of them. So here are your three passages we're going to look at this morning. Our first passage deals with friends. And I'm just going to be curious to see if any of these passages strike you as odd. Our second passage is going to deal with uh, vegetables. Uh, our son and, uh, has been in town uh, for a day. He came in to surprise us. We had his daughter and, his, and our granddaughter. I'm not his daughter. We had, yeah, we had his daughter and his son and we had his wife in for the week while he was finishing finals. And, uh, 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 and in fact, Bill somewhere, Bill wouldn't want me to say this out loud, so I won't, but Bill Gudeke, if you know him, s s took mercy on our two little grandkids and got them swimming lessons. It's so gracious of him. If you don't know how to swim, go to swim fins, by the way. Um, uh, he can teach a kid, he can teach anybody. Um, but, uh, uh our son's a vegetarian, so I, I'm into veggies right now until he leaves, until I leave. I go back to Cleveland shortly. And then uh, the third thing I want to talk about is moving, okay? So those are the three. If we get through them quick enough, we have a bonus round. But if not, we'll deal with those three. So let's start out with friends. Here it is on friends. This is an odd passage to me. Matthew eleven sixteen through 17. Here's what it says. But to what? This is Jesus talking. To what shall I compare this generation? That's just colloquial. You guys. Y'all. To what shall I compare y'all? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, saying... We played the flute for you and you wouldn't dance. We sang a funeral song and you wouldn't mourn. Okay, that's the start. It keeps going. And then Jesus says, for John, he's talking about John the Baptist, came neither eating nor drinking. And they said, well, he's got a demon. The son of man, referencing himself, Jesus, came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Now this is an unusual passage. It's got unusual ideas. First of all, to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace. Now understand, in the time of Jesus, children were kind of disregarded. It's not that they were bad. It's just that they didn't uh, merit attention. 
That was not their place. It's like, um, it's like you, you sit at the kids' table. You know, you're, you're, not, you're not with the adults. It's kind of odd for Jesus to actually be observing children in such a way that he's able to talk about it. But he talks about children. And by the way, the word paideos uh, here is, is used not just of little children. It's also used of adults that act childishly. But uh, so we've got a little bit of an overhang here. It's kind of like <clears throat> children. And uh, uh, so like children. And what are the children doing? They're sitting in the marketplace and they're saying, well, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. So you can just envision a couple of kids that are sitting there playing and, oh, let's play the flute. Dance, dance. I don't want to dance. And, and they're like, well, okay, um, uh, let's, let's do a funeral. Let's do a funeral. Here's the funeral procession, and we're going to sing the funeral song. Dun, dun, da, dun, 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 dun. Now, now y'all cry. Well, no, we're not going to cry. And the kids don't get along. And the kids who want the other kids to play along are whining. They are unsatisfied and whining. And he says, that's what this generation is like. A bunch of unsatisfied whiny pants. That's probably a Lubbock translation. But that's what this generation is like. And Jesus says, so John the Baptist comes. He doesn't eat. And he doesn't drink. Well, now, obviously he ate. Otherwise, he lives till about day three. Obviously, he drank. Jesus is using um, hyperbole. I understand hyperbole because of my sweet wife. Becky, my sweet wife, is a master of hyperbole. If you are her friend, you are her best friend. That's all she has are best friends. If if something great happens, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened. She, We have had 80 gazillion moments of the greatest marriage in the world. My wife speaks in hyperbole. It's a wonderful technique for expressing something. So don't look at this and saying, well, Jesus is wrong. He obviously ate and drank. Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. John come, he comes, he doesn't eat and he doesn't drink. He's an aesthetic. He's, he, he, he's got other values in his life beyond eating and drinking. And the people's reaction is, guy's got a demon. What's his problem? Jesus says, and then the Son of Man comes and he's eating and drinking. And what do they say? Glutton, drunkard. By the way, (laughs) Son of Man comes eating and drinking. Pino is the word for drinking. But here, phagos is just the word for eating. Uh, we got medical people out here, biologist types. Macrophage comes from phago, the word for eat. And those are the, in the body, the micro, macrophages are the little, e- or the big eaters, macrophages, big eaters. They, they're the cells that go in and, uh, or they go in and, and gobble up bad stuff, okay? Um, a sarcophagus. Oh, here's free. Look, you don't get this just anywhere. Sarcophagus. A sarcophagus is a combination of two Greek words. Sarx, which is your flesh, your body. And phago, to eat. Because in a sarcophagus, back then the Greeks didn't know what was happening. But you put a body in there and something inside that sarcophagus eats that body up because you take the lid off a couple years later and that body's gone. So that's a body eater box, a sarcophagus. So you've got, he comes eating and oinopotes, drinking wine. 
But he means obviously here eating to excess, drinking wine to excess. Now some of you are going to find that part odd that Jesus would have come drinking wine. But that's not what I find odd. What I find odd is a little bit down below. It's where he says, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, I find this odd. And I got to back up for a moment because David Capes is over here. Are you still working on your Matthew book? If you don't have this in there, would you please consider putting this in there? If, if Matthew wrote Matthew, which I believe, I don't know where you land on that issue, but it's really cool what he does here. Instead of the Greek saying a friend of tax collectors and sinners, Matthew, the tax collector, says tax collector, friend, and sinners. He bumps tax collector up to the front of that clause to put emphasis. He's even a friend of me. Tax collectors. This word friend, philos in the Greek, is, is, is a great word. We have Philadelphia as the city of friendship. Philanthropy as someone who's a friend of, of uh, giving. Uh, you, you've got... Uh, we use the word a lot. Philosophy is a friend of wisdom. Philo. But I want to give you a, a, a quote that's attributed to Aristotle. About 200 AD, there was a Greek fellow named Diogenes Lerdius. And Diogenes Lerdius wrote the lives, opinions, and remarkable sayings of the most famous ancient philosophers. Now he's writing in 200 AD. So he had records a lot better than we do of the ancient philosophers. And Aristotle was asked, what is a philos? Now remember, Aristotle is a student of Plato. Actually, he's a student of Socrates, who's a student of Plato. So you got Plato, Socrates, you got Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. There we go. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Aristotle was the tutor, one of the tutors of Alexander the Great. Okay, so Aristotle was asked, what's a philos? What is a friend? And here was his answer. Aristotle said, a single soul dwelling in two bodies. I like that. A single soul dwelling in two bodies. So Jesus gets accused of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, tax collectors, remember, they were hated by the Jewish populace. I mean, number one, they were viewed to be in league with the Romans because they were collecting taxes for the occupying Romans. They'd be about as popular right now as someone in eastern Ukraine going around to the villages that, that Russia has conquered or bombed out and collecting taxes to send back to Putin. They were not viewed favorably. What's more, because they have this interaction with the Romans, they're unclean. They're mingling with the pagan Gentiles. And what's more, most of the tax collectors are padding their hip pockets by collecting a little extra. And so, Jesus is a friend to tax collectors and a friend of sinners. Hamartolone, sinners, are people who are not on target. They're really just Jews who don't have much practice to their religion. They're, you think of them as a non-religious Jew. Someone who's not really following the law and really doesn't care. They're the bane of the Jewish existence among the Jewish holy Joes. If we get back into the mentality of the Jews at the time, remember... 
God calls Israel out of Egypt. That was the whole Ten Commandments movie with Moses, right? He starts to move them into the promised land, but they rebel. They're like, we can't do it. Those people will whip us. So they wander around for 40 years and the faithless die off. So the faithful are ready to go in. And Joshua, I met a Joshua this morning. Joshua leads them into the promised land. And Moses tells them, you be faithful. You be good. You follow what God's told you to do. And you're going to be the beacon that shines out in between the Mesopotamian empires and the Egyptian empires. They, you'll be that bridge and, and you'll be enriched and you'll be wonderful. But you don't do what I tell you to do. They're going to conquer you. And you're going to be a dish rag washing the dishes for the powers that be. And Israel became that dish rag. The nation severed into two, the northern tribes, Israel, they get conquered and they're gone, oblivion. We don't know where those 10 tribes are. They're still called lost today. The southern part is Judah. They stay intact. That's where we get the word Jew from. The, those that, that are in the southern kingdom of Judah but even they get conquered by Babylon and carted off. And the reason why? Because they're not following the laws of God. They come back under Ezra and Nehemiah, a good bit of them, a bunch of them stay gone. But then during the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, you've got different people fighting for control of Judah. That area of Israel. And it reaches a point where there is a righteous rebellion against one of the dynasties that's ruling over Israel. And out of that righteous rebellion comes a bunch of Jews who say we are going to follow the law and make the whole country follow the law because we don't want to be destroyed again. And that group become the Pharisees. And so now we roll into the New Testament. But as we roll into the New Testament, the Pharisees, the Holy Joes, have turned this into something where they are the elite who are keeping and taking care of Israel. And they see Jesus. And instead of Jesus having his lunches and dinners with the elite, he's out there as a friend of the sinners. The people who don't care. That's what's behind this. Now, what blows my mind is that Jesus is a friend to me. I want you to think about you at your worst. I want you to just think for a moment, you at your worst. And I want you to know that Jesus seeks to be your friend. I mean, that's just like mind-blowing. <laughs> One more time. I, and then Jesus ends this with, Wisdom is justified by her deeds. Luke's version of this, he uses the word children instead. It's the same idea. Jesus is saying at the end of this that, and, and wisdom's a loaded term in the Hebrew. Chachmar is, is a, a loaded term. But, but just without getting into the overlay of the personification of, of wisdom in Proverbs and all of that kind of stuff. Just catch this drift for a moment. Wisdom is seen by what it produces. That's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. You can have all the knowledge in the world and do lots with it or do little with it. doesn't matter. But wisdom bears fruit. And wisdom is known by what you do. And Jesus is saying, 
I'm going to be friends to the sinners, and as Matthew highlights, the tax collectors. I'm going to be friends to them, but you watch the fruit that comes from it. Because Jesus is not just my, Jesus is such a good friend that he wants to bring me into a better life. Do you remember in um, high school? Don't some of you look like you don't remember high school? Remember in high school, or remember if you knew others in high school, how important it was that your children or your grandchildren or you hung around good people and made good friends because birds of a feather flock together. And so you wanted them to be in a good crowd with good kids. Okay, what better crowd to be in? Who's your best friend? Jesus. Well, that's pretty good. No, that's very good. That will transform who you are. Because birds of a feather flock together. And so I just love that. So that's your first one. That's friends. All right. Now let's have our veggies. Matthew 13, 31. Jesus put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds. But when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, when I was young, I read this passage and it struck me as odd. This passage used to really bother me. I mean, look at it. The kingdom of heaven's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. Have you ever been to the grocery store? Have you ever compared mustard seed to poppy seeds? Poppy seeds. These are smaller. Mustard seeds are not the smallest of all the seeds. And I'm reading that and I'm thinking, Jesus is wrong. He messed up. I didn't understand hyperbole yet, Becky. Well, first of all, (laughs) let's get the botany straight. This stuff is not what Jesus is talking about anyway. Okay? This stuff doesn't grow a tree. This stuff grows from plants that are about knee high. Okay? This is yellow mustard seed. Mustard trees, like grew at the time, were trees that you could eat the leaves and put them in salads. You'd also cut off the stems, and they used them as toothbrushes. Mustard seed toothbrush. But anyway... When it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. Now this bothered me as well. Larger than all the garden plants. I'm sitting there thinking, and I had misread this as a kid. I was thinking, larger than all the trees. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, I've seen pictures of the redwoods in California. And I've seen pictures of mustard trees. And those grow to a maximum of 20 feet not the largest of the trees. By the way, this is the toothbrush variety where you take the leaves and put them in your salads. This is not the kind that makes yellow mustard seed. Don't go planting yellow mustard seed at home and expecting to grow this in your yard. Ain't going to happen. Okay. Um, and, and recognize that Jesus uses the word garden plants here. Lachagnon is um, veggies. Those are your vegetables. And so he's saying, you know, out of all the vegetable things, this one actually grows into a tree, and it does. It's, uh, and birds can nest in it, and that's all there. But if you look at uh, Lachagnon, it's a vegetable, an edible garden plant. 
Now, as an aside, this is where our yellow mustard seed comes from. These little plants that are yellow blossomed, that's different. So when I first read this, I thought, well, this is odd. It doesn't seem right. And then I realized Jesus is telling a parable. He's not writing a botany textbook. So Jesus is not, and with parables, you read them to understand the point, not to press out the details. Parables are made-up stories to explain a point. Don't ever press the parable into areas where it's not meant to go. If you do that, you don't understand the teaching tool that Jesus had. In legal circles, we would say, let me ask you a hypothetical question. And the point is being made within the framework of a hypothetical question. But the hypothetical question may or may not have any basis in reality. So if Jesus is not teaching botany, what was Jesus teaching? This parable comes in a list of parables, and Matthew tends to write thematically, into a list of parables about the kingdom of heaven. Big theme in Matthew. And so what Matthew is doing is in the set of kingdom parables, he's explaining big things can grow from little beginnings. Big things can grow from little beginnings. And that's marvelous. That's a very important thing for you and I to know. I, it's true in terms of the kingdom of heaven at large. I mean, the, the, the church right now around the globe, billions of people. And it started on Pentecost with 12 followers of Jesus who became 3,000 plus, who launched into the empire, who went beyond the confines of Jerusalem into Judea and beyond, who left the confines of Judaism and entered into the Gentile world who by the 300s, the early 300s, becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. I mean, from this small little backwater place grows this massive, massive kingdom of heaven. And it's really cool. Um, if you read... The books Luke and Acts. So Luke is a gospel. And Acts is the early history of the church of sorts. And both written by the same fella. And it's really interesting to read them together. Because what they do is they start out with a whole host of people. There's a boatload of people. You've got uh, thousands of angels Worshipping the birth of Jesus. And as Jesus starts teaching, there are just massive people following Jesus. Massive crowds. And then as Luke continues to teach, and Jesus continues to minister, those crowds start getting smaller. And then Jesus does things like he teaches. You've got to... You're going to get persecuted and things are going to be really bad and the crowds get smaller. And then Jesus starts saying, if you want to have anything to do with me, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. And the crowds get smaller. And Luke gets the crowds to the point where and the end of the, this section, Jesus is alone on the cross with a couple down below him. Then there's a resurrection. And with the resurrection, you've still got that couple down that are seeing him and finding out, but then the apostles start learning about it. 
And then all of a sudden, 3,000 come to faith. And then you've got the Gentiles coming to faith. And then you've got the missionary journey and the next missionary journey and the next missionary journey to the ends of the earth. And Paul goes to Rome. Whoops. I was doing such a great job, too. There. You got... I won't repeat it, but all of that stuff was happening here. And this is the way Luke writes these two. And he does it because of the emphasis on the middle. But it's this whole picture of everything's great and big till Jesus is alone on the cross. But then it takes over from the smallest seed comes the massive plant. And what Jesus said is true. And it's true for the kingdom at large. But I want to tell you something. If you are a child of the king, the kingdom is within you. And if the kingdom is within you, big things can still grow from little starts. I have been blessed by God to be in his kingdom for many, many decades. And it allows me to look back. And I can tell you, he has changed the way I think. He has grown me in my thinking. He has changed me in my wants and desires. I don't want and desire the same things I did when I was new to the kingdom. The seed that was planted in me has grown the kingdom in me. I can tell you firsthand, he has changed the fear I have in my life. I don't have the same fears I had when I was young. I've grown in faith over those fears and the kingdom from small seeds has grown in me. I have a peace that I did not have so readily then. He's rewiring my brain. He's developing in me patience. He's developing me in me love, joy, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, all of the fruit of the Spirit grow in you, but they all grow from the smallest seed. And so wherever you are in your life right now, you've got a seed in you that can grow into the kingdom of God, that can change who you are. Nobody is stuck in the doldrums. Did you read the Phantom Toll Booth growing up? If not, read it. It's mandatory reading. The Phantom Toll Booth. Miss Carolyn, write that down. Phantom Toll Booth. I believe Milo is the featured fella in that story. And Milo is on a journey. And he gets into the doldrums. And we all experience the doldrums in life. But we don't have to live there forever. Because the kingdom of God is going to grow within us. And so all of the junk and all of the horrors and all of the tragedy and all of the, the misery of this life is never where we will stay by the grace of God. Even if we're angry with Him. Even if we're not on speaking terms with Him. It doesn't matter. He's still at work in us with the promise He's going to grow this tree. Because from the smallest of seeds come the... And this is a tree, look at this, where birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. This is a tree that's productive. This is a tree that serves the world. This is a tree that does good. And God will use you to do good for others. So I want you to think about where you are in your life. And I want you to think about the issues that you've got. Do you need to learn to forgive better? From the smallest seed, God can grow a huge tree. And he'll teach you to do that. 
Do you need to learn to be kinder? From the smallest seed can come the largest tree. Do you need to grow in faith and trust so you don't hit the panic button? When the smallest things happen, God can grow it. I mean, do you understand that this is mind-blowing? All right, those are your veggies. Now, I want to tie that together with moving because this is part of the key of the growth. So let's go to moving at this point. Your passage is from Matthew 8, 1 through 3. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I want you to think about that for a moment. Leprosy is, back in those days, it was any number of different skin diseases. But those skin diseases were ones that you never knew how serious it might be, and it caused you to be sent out from Jewish society. You were quarantined until your skin disease cleared up. And when it cleared up, you were instructed to go to the priest and to present yourself so that the priest could make sure that you were able to come out of quarantine. We understand that a lot more now than we did three years ago. But that's what lepers were. This leper comes to Jesus, kneels before him, says, if you will, you can make me clean. He's not clean yet. He's got no right to be in the presence of Jesus. Lepers are supposed to, if they see someone on the street, shout out, unclean unclean so you don't get near them social distancing and so they're supposed to be shouting out unclean unclean this one doesn't shout out unclean unclean he comes up to jesus kneels before him says if you will you'll make me clean and what does jesus do uh, six feet away please uh and i you need to have a mask on jesus Stretches out his hand. He touches him. And says, I will be clean. And immediately, his leprosy is clean. I mean, that's pretty cool. Because I'm a leper in so many ways. I'm unclean in so many ways. But this is where in this passage, what strikes me as odd are the moving verbs. I want you to pay attention to them. Look at this. When Jesus comes down from the mountain. So Jesus has come down from the mountain. He would go up to the mountains to teach. We've just had the Sermon on the Mount. He would go up to the mountain to pray. He would go up to the mountain to be glorified, the Mount of Transfiguration. But he comes down from the mountain. So he comes to be in our midst, if you will. And great crowds followed him. That's your next motion. Great crowds followed him. Um, Akalutho, akalutheo is it? Whatever that verb is. I think it's akalutheo, but I could be wrong, but Capes would know. Um, He's nodding his head yes, which could mean yes, you're wrong, or yes, you got it. (laughs) But it means to follow. I mean, Jim, you're walking, I walk behind you, I follow you. So you've got great crowds following Jesus. Look at your next motion verb. But a leper comes up to him. There's a difference in this vignette between following Jesus and coming up to Jesus. 
not simply following, but approaching Jesus. And he kneels before him. The leper kneels before him. Prosecune is, is worship. It's, 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 he kneels in worship before the Lord. I mean, you can follow Jesus all you want. Well, there goes Jesus. I think I'll follow him. But the distinction that's drawn here is between someone who's not simply following Jesus, but someone who is coming up and approaching Jesus in worship and asking Jesus for help. Look, you can follow people on social media and you'll see everything they're doing and where they're going. There's a difference between following people, though, and coming up to them and interacting with them and hearing Jesus say, welcome. When you come before Jesus in your leprosy, when you come before Jesus in your uncleanliness, don't simply follow him, come to him with it. And seek his healing. Seek his touch. He will not look at you and say, unclean, unclean, get away. Social distance. Get your mask on. Show me your vaccination card. Jesus, first of all, he's a great physician. He doesn't need to worry about it. Let's be candid. I'm not making fun of people taking health safety important. I don't want to deminimize that. I'm just using our vocabulary today to illustrate a point. And the point is this. Jesus will never turn you away when you come to him for help. Jesus will never turn you away and say, you are too unclean for me. Jesus will never turn you away and say, but you've had this problem for 20 years. Why are you coming to me now? Jesus will never come to you, or you never come to Jesus and have Jesus say, well, tough. I am so sick of you coming to me. That's just not who he is. He's the friend of the tax collectors and the sinners. He says in other places, where do you think I'm coming? I'm coming to the sick. They're the ones who need me. If you're such a holy Joe, you don't need me. You bet I'm going to eat with the people who need me. I mean, that Jesus wants me to come to him with all that is diseased, icky, sinful is, again, just mind-blowing to me. And it's, and it's odd. Okay, we have time. So if you're okay for about five more minutes, um, yeah, we're going to do the bonus round. Okay. I really, really find this odd and hilarious. I saved the funny one for the end. The mother of the sons of Zebedee comes up to Jesus. This is Matthew 20. We're getting near the end. The mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John's mother, come up to Jesus with her sons. Come on, boys. They're grown men. Come on, boys. Kneeling before him, she takes the same worship. She comes up to Jesus. She's done everything that the leper did, except instead of make me clean, her request is a little different. She asked him for something. He said, what do you want? She said, say that these two sons of mine are to sit. One at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. And I think he probably said it with a smile. But it's basically, you're clueless. (laughs) You're asking something that's kind of unusual (laughs) and wrong. Um, When uh, one of our daughters was in third grade... She came to me and she said, Dad, you know, I've decided to be a lawyer. I said, honey, that's great. That's wonderful. I'm, you would be a wonderful lawyer. She said, thanks. 
She said, would you promise right now that if I get to be a lawyer, I can have the law firm? She's eight years old. And I said, well, honey, I can't really make that promise. What if your brother or your sisters want to be lawyers too, for example? She said, I knew you'd say that, and that's okay. That makes sense. And she paused, and she looks both ways to make sure nobody else is listening. She says, but would you at least promise that I get to be the boss? I was thinking about Jesus. You just don't know what you're asking, sweetheart. (laughs) I love you to death, but you don't know what you're asking. By the way, the story is really cool because in the story, Jesus says, look, he says, uh, this shows what the goofy sons were doing. I can call James and John goofy. They wouldn't mind. They were at this point. But from the smallest seed comes a really big tree. So God wasn't done with them. So, look what it says. It says, uh, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. And then Jesus turns and looks at the boys. And he says to the boys, are you able, or the young men, the sons, are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? And James and John said, we are able. And Jesus said, well, you'll drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. It's for those for whom it's been prepared by my father. And of course, when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. How dare you? And you pulled, played the mom card. You got your mom to do your b- dirty business for you. Oh, Jesus can't say no to a mom. And I read this and I think about my life. I think, how many times have I asked God for something? And sometimes I ask God for something and he says yes, and it's just delightful. Sometimes I ask God for something and he says no. And I'm like, drats. Sometimes I ask God for something and he says, not yet. And I have to be patient. But I wonder if there aren't some times where I ask God for something and he kind of chuckles and says, you really have no clue what you're asking. <laughs> you, just, you just don't understand what's going on here right now. And you're going to walk the walk and you're going to have life and it's going to take care of itself. But, but buddy, <laughs> you just don't know what you're talking about. Um, I suspect that happens more times than not. And I read this passage, and it's just another one that just makes me stunned. It's kind of like, okay, all right, I got it. So with that, let me give you some points for home, and we'll be through. I am blown away that Jesus is my friend. I am blown away that he wants to be friends with me. I was talking to Louis Miori one time. Louis was like, you know, he's one of my best friends. And Louis was really popular in high school. And uh, I said to him, we were going to eat Mexican food one time. I said, remember that age where, you know, that teenage angst of not being as popular as you'd like to be and not getting to hang out with the cool kids the way you'd like to? Remember that time? And he looked at me like I was a weirdo and said, no, I never really experienced that. (laughs) So there may be some Louis Miori's out there who just frankly don't know what I'm talking about. But for the rest of us, it's really neat to think we get to be friends with the coolest person that's ever lived in this earth. It is really cool that the most righteous, the most holy, the most powerful, the most compassionate, the most loving, the most wonderful person there's ever been, who's not only fully human, but fully God, wants to be our friend. Wants to be such a great friend that he would die for us. That's... um, 
that's not anything to be taken lightly. And if you don't have that friendship with him, then it's there for the asking. It's there. Jesus, be my friend. And he will. And then spend time with him. Get to know him. Read in his word. Journal your prayers to him. It will transform you because it will take the seed of the kingdom of heaven that can be so small at the beginning, but it will grow it into this massive tree that will bear fruit for the world where the birds can come and build their nests and and great things can happen. Not because we're great, but because God is growing his kingdom in us. And we get to play that role. And the way we get there is very simple. We just approach Jesus. We kneel before him as our Lord. We ask him to be our Lord. We ask him to heal us. We ask him to save us. We ask him to take care of us. We seek his friendship. We seek his companionship. We seek his love. We seek his forgiveness. We seek his teaching. We seek his wisdom. We seek his compassion. We seek his heart. We seek his thoughts. We seek all of this. And he grows this in us to the glory of God. Snapshots from the life of Jesus. Can I bless you in the name of Jesus? And then uh, it's church time. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask your blessings on all who hear this message. That you will be their friend. That they will call to you in friendship. Call to you to be their Lord. That they will seek your healing touch. That they will let your kingdom grow in their lives. That you will transform their hearts. Transform their minds. Transform their priorities. Transform their self-control. Transform their ability to forgive. Transform everything in them to bring them into a fullness of your tree. The kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. This is our prayer through Jesus, our friend and Lord. Amen. See you guys next week.